Auckland has been grappling for more than a decade with how to pump up its economy. The argument goes if Auckland can't lift its game, then the country's economy will continue to struggle. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme looks at whether the city is now on the right course. Today is the launch of the Economic Development Strategy, a key part of Auckland's plank becoming the country's economic powerhouse. Auckland Mayor Len Brown addressing a who's who of local government, commerce and education, gathered in Auckland to launch a plan that, if successful, could benefit all New Zealanders. It's a strategy to double the rate at which the country's largest regional economy is growing. Lending his support, Business New Zealand Chief Executive Phil O'Reilly. If Auckland succeeds, it's more likely that Taihapi succeeds, and it's more likely that Omaru succeeds. And the reason is... Auckland is the country's only international class city and has long been recognised as an economic underperformer. Auckland's economic growth trails the cities it likes to be compared with, Melbourne, Brisbane, Singapore, to name a few. And its growth has come largely from serving itself rather than exporting high-value products and services. The road to increasing riches has been laid out in a series of strategies and plans over the past 15 years, but this time it's different. I'm Todd Nile, and in Insight I look at Auckland's freshly printed strategy to transform its economy. Let's rewind three years. Insight spoke with the then Minister of Economic Development, Jerry Brownlee, on the prospects for Auckland. Don't underestimate the power of local body amalgamation to set good ground for uh, a better picture for economic growth. The same documentary included Canadian Ian Bromley, part of an international group of economic development specialists overseeing Auckland's past efforts. What a lot of people don't understand is it takes a lot more than putting aspirations on paper to, to make things happen. In order to deliver it, you need an agency, some kind of an organization that has the resources, the backing, the support of the political and business leadership in the city to go out and deliver it. And I don't think, from what I can understand, that until now, Auckland has had that delivery capacity to the extent that it needs it. This function to launch Auckland's economic development strategy marks the new opportunity that Jerry Brownlee and Ian Bromley alluded to. Auckland now has a single local body rather than eight, and that local body has a single agency, Auckland Tourism, Events and Economic Development, or ATED, given the job of leading the transformation of the economy. So with those changes made, what shape is the region currently in? The Auckland economy is sort of still staggering along, if you like. Jeff Cooper is Auckland Council's chief economist, a close watcher of what makes the economy tick. I mean, it grew at sort of 1.6% over the last 12 months, which is not um, anything to sort of yell and scream about, I suppose. Um, but putting that into the context of what we're seeing the rest of New Zealand do um, and what the, the rest of the world is doing, it's actually it's not too bad. Not too bad is the story of Auckland's economy for the past couple of decades. When you look at Auckland relative to the rest of New Zealand, we do very well. Mm. I mean, we have higher incomes, we have more people arriving here. You know, when we compare ourselves to the other cities, we look pretty good. We look like we're doing quite well. But when you compare us to other comparative cities, so all of a sudden our GDP per capita values start looking quite poor. We've only got 80% of the per-person income of, say, Sydney, for instance. And trying to understand exactly why that is, it's challenging, isn't it? The economic development strategy aims to confront that challenge over the next 10 years, not just for Auckland, but for the country. 
The region generated $50 billion of economic activity last year, equivalent to 37% of the country's gross domestic product. Over 30 years, Auckland's population is expected to grow by 1 million. The strategy requires Auckland's economy to do much better than it has. One of its top targets is achieving regional economic growth of better than 5% a year, more than three times its current rate. Export growth, a long-running weakness in Auckland, should rise by more than 6% a year. Hitting those targets is expected to lift Auckland 20 places in the International League table of city economies. Business commentator Rod Oram says it's a big task. It's enormous. It's a rate of growth that we've never achieved in New Zealand before. Uh, and so it's very challenging um, in a regional context, um, but it's obviously very challenging in a national context too. The needle on Auckland's economic speedometer has briefly hit those targets in the past, but how to maintain that economic speed? One of the strategy's architects is Harvey Brooks, Auckland Council's economic development manager. He says the targets reflect past spikes in Auckland's economic growth. Those related to things like housing booms and um, you know the real sort of availability of, of bank credit leading those housing booms and, and growing the economy quite fast at those times. We're certainly not saying that we want to repeat the cause of those and we, we do want a, a growth built on different parameters but I guess our point is if we think of the economy as a system, the, the system has been able to generate uh, those kinds of rates of growth uh, we'd much rather this time around and into the future it's based on high-value, high-technology, export-orientated growth rather than uh, inward speculative growth from real estate and retail and things like that. The strategy identifies the sector's best place to compete internationally. These are Information and Communication Technology, or ICT, Tourism, Food and Beverage, Screen Production and the Creative Sector, and Marine and Boat Building. It also focuses on underlying weaknesses in the region. One of those is the skill of the region's workforce. This course is our carpentry level four. Um, the, this course is going to teach us how to build a three bedroom, single story, timber framed house. So at the end of the course, we should be able to go out there and know exactly how to build from ground up to the roof, uh, inside the house, walls, uh, furnishings and everything. So that should be that covers this whole course that we're doing here. That finishes the whole whole year course. Dominic Siu wants to move on from warehouse work to eventually run his own building firm. My plan is say three to four years I will have my national certificate and then maybe pay my dues, maybe one, maybe two years working on the He's one of eighteen thousand students who pass through the doors of the Monaco Institute of Technology each year. MIT is in Otara, one of the poorest areas in South Auckland. It's been pioneering education programs which could be critical to the region's ambitions. The economic strategy notes youth employment is around 30% and basic reading, writing and arithmetic remain a challenge for many. MIT's Stuart Middleton has no doubt about the importance of upskilling. I think it's absolutely the central role uh, for Auckland to power its way um, out of the space that it's in now. Um, uh, others have said that, Auckland, that New Zealand can't function if Auckland's on three and a half cylinders and that the last part of the uh, equation is really getting a highly skilled 
population. Now that means dealing with all those young people that are disengaging from school and who are ending up unskilled and therefore unemployable. And at the same time, we have skill shortages developing within the same city. So it's a big effort required to put the two together to minimise the negative costs of unskilled and unemployed youth, uh, at the same time get the advantages of providing skills for business, industry and commerce. Mr Middleton has helped develop local programmes to ease secondary pupils into trade training and work experience, rather than dropping out. We have many success stories. We, uh, we, have, we run a programme here for students who are likely not to succeed at school and they're enjoying great levels of success. Some of them are studying uh, business in a degree program. They are in practical trades. By the time they would ordinarily have finished school, uh, they are achieving industry-recognised trade qualifications. We know it can be done. Making a difference across Auckland could take five to ten years or more and funding could become a problem. When it comes to skilled training, Auckland is very seriously uh, unprovided for. Uh, uh, The provision of skills training in Auckland runs at a a level that's considerably below uh, the rest of the population, and that's because the demographics uh, cluster a large number of uh, the people who join the unskilled uh, group uh, each time, while the rest of the country is, is, is less... Uh, open to that. Um, So yes, Auckland really needs a big boost in probably existing funding and the unpalatable fact will be that that funding will have to come from somewhere else. Stephen Joyce is not only the Minister for Economic Development but also for Tertiary Education. He says there already is quite a bit of funding in Auckland for skill training like the Tertiary High School programme developed by MIT. Well, it has that funding right now. The tertiary high school is a slightly unique take on it, uh, but we also have trades academies. Uh, we also have, as I say, the wider youth guarantee program. So you've got all sorts of uh, transitions possible. Uh, and, and the tertiary high school is one where effectively the students come into MIT. Uh, we have some uh, trades academies at high schools um, today. And we also have youth guarantee where pupils who are at 16 and 17 who go into classes at, say, for example, Unitech uh, or, or an institution like that or a private institute. So, you know, there is, there is literally thousands of students participating in tertiary high school-like initiatives today. And again, it's a case of, yep, these initiatives are all in place, measure their success and then push the funding towards those that are having more success. David Wilson is the director of Auckland University of Technology's Public Policy Institute and a specialist in economic development. He says education and training is one area where it's unclear how the strategy will deliver. David Wilson says it's been something which previous strategies and action plans have struggled with over 20 years. The current actions under that are supporting literacy and numeracy and attracting and retaining talented individuals. Well, both of those things are probably laudable things. How much influence the Auckland Council can have on literacy and numeracy depends on its association with education department, with schools, with central government and a whole bunch of other things. So to call that an action is kind of stretching the bow a little bit. Quite often what you see is the actions are more like strategies than actions. So how we move from strategy to action is the key thing. Upskilling Aucklanders is just part of the equation of creating a more productive workforce. Retaining the skills which the region already has is another part. 
The city's economist, Jeff Cooper, says the number of Aucklanders heading permanently overseas is at a 17-year high. We had 30,496 people leave in the year to July, and 17, just over 17,000 of those went to Australia. Um, so that's a problem. That's a big problem. People, talent and, and skills are mobile, and we're competing with the rest of the world for that talent. And we need to do better at it frankly. Um, we're, we're losing that battle and if you don't have the talent, you're not going to have the productive businesses. Inward migration is a positive thing, there's no doubt about that. But when you're losing a lot of the people that have a history of this place and a history of Auckland, that's a loss for, for Auckland and for Auckland's economy, there's no doubt about it. Some of that retention may be helped by business entrepreneurs hoping to expand. Auckland already has companies of the type targeted by the strategy, which it's hoped will multiply and create a bigger and more valuable economy. This is our app called iSuper8. It's a vintage video emulator. It turns your iPhone video into vintage video. And um, so what you can see here is, is a camera case, and we've done a lot of work around trying to create fun design to make the, the camera case look like... One of Rod McFarlane's software camera. applications so has been can, picked up by American corporates Levi's and Rip Curl. We've got an uh, investment, intellectual property and incubation uh, business called McFarlane Engel & Associates and it's been running since about 2007, helping corporates and startups with their growth strategies. And part of McFarlane Engel & Associates' business is to invest in different startup activities and the, the largest of which has been MEA Mobile which has spun out of the organisation and it's one of New Zealand's uh, larger mobile app development firms. The firm now has around 20 staff in Auckland, Hamilton and in the United States and makes the most of New Zealand's location. It's an export driven business so from day one we've, we've had that US office with an old friend who's based in Connecticut and that's been a real opportunity for us to, to create scale um, Actually, now that the business has grown, being based in New Zealand is working to our advantage. We can do work overnight US time, and Bruce, our US managing director, he gets up in the morning and there's, a, there's all the work's been done, and he has to just review it and put it in front of the client. So the tyranny of distance issue that we used to have is actually working to our advantage now with, in, in the new, new technology spaces. Information and communication technology is one of the sectors the economic development strategy will focus on expanding. It's where Aaron Muir's firm Argus Tracking sits, developing technology to help people track and manage vehicle fleets. We actually needed a GPS tracking solution for another business that we were looking at doing. Looked at the market seven years ago and there wasn't anything that would meet our requirements for that specific business that we're looking at. And then we went and said, well, hang on, why don't we actually develop a platform that would suit us and other business owners alike? So that's what we did. Argus Tracking is a major player domestically with government and local body customers. Aaron Muir says exporting is the next step. Yeah, we will eventually. And again, that's why we, we contacted AT and went through some of the courses they've put us on to figure out do we have the steps in place and the knowledge to go overseas yet? By going through that course, we've figured out where we actually want to go to, which countries and which markets. We've re-looked at our core markets and actually thinned down some areas um, so we're not going to focus on some, some customers anymore. But yeah, export is definitely on the cards and we think we can achieve that. But Auckland's two-year-old region-wide economic development agency is also getting hands-on to help business create new products for new markets. A industrial kitchen here. Uh, again, we've got big gas hobs, uh, big like a Bain-Marie, if you're doing steam baths and so on, 
uh, obviously big fryers. And this could be typically the food bowl is a miniature high-tech food processing plant which opened in Mangari a year ago. It's here to provide facilities for all sorts of food and beverage manufacturers of all different sizes to come here and try out new product development. Um, we're looking particularly at adding value to products for the export market but also for the domestic market. Sarita Males is the chief executive of the year-old facility, built close to the South Auckland home of many players in the food and beverage industry. It's a place where small enterprises can develop new products and make small quantities without having to buy expensive equipment. Large firms can also trial new products without disrupting their own factories. One of our early adopters was um, a guy who has a company called Hula and he made his own skinny dips, healthy dips, and he's managed to sell them in now to 10 different supermarkets and we helped with that connection to the supermarket chains. And he's now ramping up production to the point that he's probably ready to take his production off to a contract manufacturer because we're filling the gap here. We're basically set up so that people can determine the market demand and determine whether it's worthwhile investing in the equipment themselves and whether they want to take it off then to somebody else to make for them. The Food Bowl was the flagship project of Enterprise Monaco, South Auckland's economic development agency, prior to it merging into Auckland's region-wide agency. So this is probably the most expensive bit of kit we've got. This is the HPP, high-pressure pasteurisation. The Food Bowl is transferring into the government's Sir Paul Callaghan Institute for Advanced Technology, plugging into a network of research organisations. If the strategy succeeds, the key sectors will generate an additional $22 billion a year by 2031. But can they? Rod Orham isn't sure. Potentially, but at the moment, um, each of those target sectors are only small parts of the regional economy. So, for example, on information and communications technology, that's only 4.9% of the economy. Um, or food and beverage is only 3.7%. So, Yes, these are good sectors to pick because potentially they could do an awful lot more internationally, but they're going to need an awful lot of help to um, progress very substantially so that they can then start to contribute um, a much larger share in each sector to the overall economy. Not everything that Auckland needs to transform its economy is necessarily ready to roll. Colin Mitten came to New Zealand eight years ago. He previously headed Finance Wales, a public sector investment bank involved in developing the Welsh economy. He's now the chair of the Northland Port Corporation and Northland's Regional Development Agency. Colin Mitten says small, expanding firms have trouble getting funding, even though a lot of money is held by wealthy private investors. I think the sources of funds in New Zealand are limited. There is a huge amount of money held within high net worth individuals and within the private sector, but there isn't a really embedded angel investment risk capital culture within New Zealand. My view is that if we're going to grow our indigenous business base in New Zealand, the main factor holding those businesses from growing is funding and that funding has to be readily available. For startups the funding is high risk and it's very difficult to find individuals to put money into startup businesses. We all know that you know the 90% of those businesses fail. So the public sector has a place to play in de-risking those investments for 
those startup businesses and standing alongside investors when they're looking at growing businesses. The Minister for Economic Development, Stephen Joyce, doesn't see a bigger role for government funding. Well, I think we've got to be very careful about saying that the that the Crown should do more than it's already doing, which is a fair bit um, in terms of the uh, underwriting of of uh, you know, capital investment opportunities for small businesses. Now, we have the Venture Investment Fund, which is involved in in uh, assisting businesses get started and effectively puts capital into firms and uh, seeks to get it back over time. Uh, but actually, risk-taking more generally is, is, is rightly the domain of the private sector uh, because uh, fundamentally um, they understand risk, frankly, much better than governments, whether they're central or local. The head of the agency charged with delivering much of Auckland's strategy sees potential for finding new sources of funds. Brett O'Reilly, the chief executive of ATED, says there's untapped funding in Auckland among so-called angel investors. If you look at something like um, the Ice Angels Group, great to see locally based um, Chinese investors now with their own subgroup as part of the Ice Angels, which is a really a sign that um, there's a lot of confidence um, uh, that there are investment opportunities in Auckland. Quite often when we look at um, at foreign investment, we ignore the fact that we have a large migrant population in, in Auckland. Uh, in the short time I've been at ATED, I've discovered you know, a number of very wealthy um, recent migrants to, um, to Auckland who have actually found it quite difficult to invest here because many of our companies are quite small um, and not necessarily investor-ready. But the development organisation may have its own funding challenge. Is the $11 million a year at its disposal for economic development projects enough? I think it's a good start, um, but I think we need to give um, Auckland ratepayers confidence that we're delivering against that plan, um, and with that confidence hopefully we'll come and increase in investment over time. Regional Development Specialist David Wilson says despite the benefits of local body amalgamation, Auckland still needs buy-in from the government. In terms of regional governance, all we've really achieved is having one point and one voice for Auckland rather than seven or eight. That's significant in itself, but there's no more resource. So the partnership between Auckland and Wellington is absolutely crucial and absolutely vital. Some observers say regional development agencies such as Auckland's need more people with private sector expertise. Rod McFarlane says in the 13 years he's been in business, the types of public sector support, such as funding, have developed well. But he'd like to see some changes, such as with the largely public sector funded incubators, which help small firms develop. There's always room for improvement, um, and as a commercial enterprise, we'd like to see more commerciality around the assistance that's given, so potentially privately run incubation models is, is a way that seems to be working offshore, particularly in these new markets where there's been big changes. Is there a bit of a, a language gap between people working in the private sector and the semi-public sector aspects of economic development? The, the people there are doing uh, great jobs and have uh, have great ambitions. I think when you come from an entirely private sector, you've probably just got slightly different drivers and, and motivations. Although, I mean, we are trying to do great things for New Zealand as well as a private sector company, fingers crossed. Um, just having that, that experience in the marketplace is going to be a big help. Brett O'Reilly says between Auckland and the government, the ingredients do exist to significantly boost the region's economy. Auckland's a very knowledge-intensive city. I mean, we're surrounded by educational institutions, be it universities, polytechnics and private educators. So we, we have the knowledge intensity and the people here. We have the, in, the natural inventiveness. So then you might say, well, what's missing? And I think it has been that commercialisation piece. So 
if the new Sir Paul Callaghan Institute is going to be focused on that space, working with the over 60 field staff that we have that are engaging with businesses every day, I think that can be a really powerful combination. But we'll be working with central government very closely to make sure that that institute is really focused on that activity because that's what we need. David Wilson says the government doesn't necessarily have to spend more money in Auckland, but he believes there's a need for new agencies to do the work. If you were to take a regional governance approach to, for example, investing in skills and education, then you would want to set up an institution whereby you are able to govern the resources. And so you would have the central government agencies at the table alongside the Auckland Council and you would try to set up an, a, a framework whereby you could deliver on your, your specific strategic intervention and the money was there and the institution was there to deliver on that plan. Currently what we have is a series of silos and a lot of rhetoric about how we can work together. Years. I wish you well. Thanks for your time. With the launch party over, what are Auckland's chances of becoming a high-tech, high-value economy and achieving its ambitious targets? The Minister of Economic Development, Stephen Joyce. I'm confident we can achieve it, both in the city and nationally, but we will be faced with some challenging questions as a country to achieve that result. The biggest worry I have is that we ankle tap ourselves on the way to doing it because we get too worried and we turn opportunities off because we worry about the risks of those opportunities. And in the economic world, you've got to take the good with the bad. So. If you want international investment, you can't turn around and say to the Chinese all the time, well, don't come here. And some New Zealanders would prefer that. David Wilson's view is reservedly optimistic. The difficulty is, if the council thinks that it is leading the strategy, we're going to be in trouble. It cannot do this on its own. The private sector can't do it on its own. Neither can the tertiary sector. They have to work together. And the behaviour from here on in will determine whether or not we can deliver on the strategy in any way. Commentator Rod Oram doubts that the ingredients of the strategy add up to the sort of improvement being chased. The Auckland strategy, like the national one, is very much predicated on incremental growth in existing sectors, um, which won't be able to move fast enough to deliver the big goals. So if Auckland was really serious about um, more than doubling its growth rates here in Auckland to 5% a year, um, it's going to need to chart some strategy to take a, a very big leap rather than incremental growth. Harvey Brooks, Auckland's Economic Development Manager, insists the targets, while ambitious, can be reached. The targets represent uh, what we think is achievable and also what we think is necessary in order to get to the bigger goals we have about Auckland's uh, overall level of livability. You know, we've worked with the government on all of these targets and they've got targets of their own as well now and generally those targets are pretty well aligned. So it's not an absolute certain thing. There are, in, in any area of the strategy there are variables that we can't uh, entirely control. But I think our united view on this stuff is that if you don't have a target, you've got no chance of succeeding. And that's a sentiment supported by Brett O'Reilly, the chief executive of Auckland's development agency. There's a lot for us to learn, but I also think we've got some quite unique attributes um, here in Auckland, but actually on the positive side. So I think all the ingredients are here. Everything I've seen in the last four months that I've been in this role suggests to me that um, uh, if we can get this cohesion in and around economic development will start to see some significant gains and I believe quite quickly. I'm Todd Nile and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz 
or tweet us at rnz underscore insight.